0: I just want to say, as we get started, there's going to be a really awkward moment in the sermon, okay? So we just need to deal with it and get out of the way. There's a couple verses where it talks about circumcision. If you don't know what that is, David will explain it to you after the service this morning, okay? So it's just one of those things that normally when that word comes up, men kind of go, Like that, just kind of an involuntary, you know. And women often just kind of say, "Thank you, Jesus," (laughs) just because the idea of inflicting pain upon a man is. Any woman who has ever given birth has no sympathy for a man with an injury. It's just one of those things. It's like you know, you could have a bone sticking straight out of your arm, and if there's a woman nearby that gave birth, you go, "Yeah, well, I've had kids." So, quit whining. You know, anyway, so we're going to get there. So if you you have to giggle or you have to kind of get uncomfortable or whatever, but if you have a lack of confusion, you have some confusion on your face, you're not sure what we're talking about. Again, David, he's an elder. He knows all about stuff like that. So, okay. Um, If you are following along in a Bible in your hands, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. It'll also be up here on the screen. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 8. How many of you, have you ever had what what I'm calling today document fear? There's a document, and you're afraid of it. I'll give you an example. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, I knew that report cards were being mailed out. Okay, They weren't given to kids. I remember one time in school, they used to actually give the students their report cards and say, take these home, and show them to your parents. It was like, okay. Yeah, not, you know, then, then they started saying, take it home. But then your parents have to sign it. Okay. And I practiced my mom's signature until it looked reasonable, you know, and then, um, then they started mailing them out. Uh, And so then you had to really work hard to get home before your parents got home. So you could intercept it. And if they said, did your report card come? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, That's document fear. Or maybe you get an email or a note that says, oh, boss wants to see you. Why? He didn't say. Why? Well, what's the matter? Well, she didn't say. She just wants to, you know, it's like you kind of go into instant fear, instant nervousness, panic, or whatever. We're going to get to a spot in this message, in this text, uh, where we're going to talk about that. Okay? So just kind of put that off to the side, but within reach. Because we're going to return to it, okay? We're going to return to document fear, and we are going to mention circumcision. So, are you guys set? Are we ready? Emotionally, mentally prepared? Okay. Ned's giggling already over there because you know, because <laughs> of you know the c word and all that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. So, Colossians chapter two, starting at verse eight. Okay, let's read it together. It says, "See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception." according to the tradition of men, or that should just say humans, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And that kind of sounds easy. Well, I don't believe anything other than what Jesus says. Well, hopefully, maybe, probably not always. Okay, So there's a difference between at least I believe, there's a difference between what we know and what we believe, okay? Difference between what we know and what we believe. If you're driving in a car and you're approaching an intersection that has a light, a signal, and it turns yellow, and you're in that kind of DMZ area where you can safely stop or you can lean on the gas a little bit. And as long as that front bumper breaks that line of the intersection before it turns red, you're legal, right? Is that right? Is that wrong? Oh, okay. Thank you for, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> I've, I've experienced this a lot and I've gone I've gone to traffic school. I have like, 30 units of traffic school of defensive driving, you know, over the years. So, I know what I'm talking about. I practically got a master's degree. Anyway, um but there's a difference between believing and knowing. So, under normal circumstances, and especially if someone else is in the car, you know, or you're teaching somebody to drive and you're in that safe zone where you could slow down because the light just turned yellow, what do you know that you're supposed to do? Yeah, you're supposed to stop. But I'm late. And in that moment, I believe I need to go through that intersection. I know I'm not supposed to. I know I'm supposed to slow down and stop, right? But I believe I got to go. I got to get there. And so what do I do? Do I go, oh, wait. While I believe something that isn't true, and that would be dangerous, I'm going to go with what I know. (laughs) yeah probably most of us would say when our emotions take over when there's a sense of urgency when there's any kind of emotional force happening that is what we're believing in that moment 10 seconds after we go through that intersection you don't believe that anymore because now you're on the other side and so what happens with this idea of deception see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception that are according to and it goes on to explain it Some people say, well, I can't be deceived, I'm smarter than that, really? You've never believed your own feelings over what you know? Your own biases, experience, pain has never guided you towards something that you really just want to believe even though you know it's not true? You never got mad at somebody just out of emotion over something that really didn't deserve, didn't warrant anger or negative action or negative words? Like, well, we shouldn't gossip. But did you hear about our coworker <laughs> or extended family member? You know? And it's interesting that the Bible, when it talks about gossip, it doesn't just talk about the people who say it. Because some people kind of go, well, as long as I don't actually say it, then I'm not gossiping. If you're listening to it, you're gossiping. If you're interested in it, you're gossiping. Okay, so just let's just accept it maybe start a support group and get on with our lives, okay? So he says, it's things that are according to the tradition of men or of people, according to elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ, okay? So it doesn't mean that you're stupid if you believe a lie. It means that you're normal. <laughs> you're probably you're human, you know, and that's just what we do. That's our, we go, we default to our default settings. Then it goes on in verse 9, and it says, For in him, in Christ, we can go on that next slide. In Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus was fully human, and he was fully God. God a body. okay? He wasn't just godly. He wasn't just godlike. He wasn't just filled with godly things. He didn't just act like he was God. He didn't just allow people to worship him as God. He actually was God in the form of a man, in human form. And that's a really important thing. Historically, people have died for that belief. And a lot of times people don't understand that it's that poor north kind of Well, that's really kind of complicated, so, you know, I'm not going to think about it. And we think about, well, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, how can all those three things be God by themselves, but then all together the only one God? Okay, well, let's say, can I use you as an example again, David? I mean, you are an elder, and, you know, it's not a negative example this time you know, okay. So I see David sitting right there. If David never says anything, and I have no insight at all as to what he's feeling, really the only interaction I'm having right now is with him physically, right? I see him sitting there. Now, I don't go, hey, I saw David's body sitting in a chair. That would be awkward. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? If I say, I saw David, you're probably sitting, well, he saw David sitting there, okay? But then let's say I'm talking about David, I said, well, I know David knows a lot about electricity and construction and things like that. Okay, what am I talking I'm not talking about him physically. Now I'm talking about what he knows. Okay, or if David is talking about, man, I feel so strongly about this. Okay, well, now we're talking about his heart. Now, think about it. You've, everybody has these three pieces of themselves. There, there is sort of our intellectual person, there's our emotional person, and then there's our physical person. And people wonder, well, how can there be interaction between Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Well, just the same way we do. You ever wake up in the morning and go, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to get out of bed. But then, you know, your body is saying sleep. But your mind is saying, "Ah, I got to go to work. I got to get up. (laughs) Or you feel strongly about something, but you know you need to take a certain action. We can experience that kind of we experience that interaction and that conflict all the time within ourselves between what we feel, what we know, where we're at personally, I mean physically, you can be in a place and go, I'm here, but I shouldn't be here. We can experience that a lot. So the idea that we were created in God's image means we're kind of a thumbnail scratch of what God is like. So if we can grasp that idea that we sort of have these three pieces that in and of themselves can function or be understood as us, and then altogether it's still us, then maybe that gives us just sort of a scratch on the surface of how God can be Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet still one being. Okay? Again, David would love, maybe Ned would probably, if you have questions about Trinity doctrines and stuff like that, Ned would love to, you know, yell at you about that. So then it says this, it says in verse 10, and in him, you, no, no, go back to, yeah, there you go. And in him, you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. In him, you have been made complete, okay? You feel like you're complete? Do you feel done? Most of us probably don't. We probably have moments during the week where we don't always feel so complete. We don't always feel like everything that we need to be a completely fulfilled and at peace in our lives. We've got it all. But God says, you've been made complete. I remember one time I was um, in my office sitting across the table from a woman who had just been through kind of a series of very unhappy, destructive, some even abusive relationships, and she said, I just, I just felt like all I want is for God to give me the right man. And I listened to her, and I tried to gently say, well, um, I don't know if I can help you figure out how to attract better men. We could maybe talk about why we are continually attracting bad men. And I said, but actually, I think before any of that, God wants you to get to a point where you don't need a man To complete you, that you are who God created you to be. My I said, my hope would be that maybe I could help you understand that you are complete in and of yourself, that your dignity, worth, and value and identity is completely done in Christ. And she said, That's not what I want. And so she left. And then she came back about a year later and said, All right, you were right. Tell me about. Jesus. But God says we're complete. Even if you're not making the amount of money you wish you were making, even if your relationships aren't what you wish they were, even if you don't have all the stuff that you thought you'd have by now, in Christ it says you are complete. Complete. And when you put those things together, that Jesus is God in human flesh and you are complete in him. You don't need anything else. I'm going to give you an example. This young couple comes into my office and she, and he's concerned young couple twenties, mid twenties, maybe he's concerned because she's gotten involved with this group of people called energy readers. And I said, well, what do the energy readers do? I I could probably guess by that point, but well, they can read your aura, and tell you what you're going through and what you're dealing with. Oh, okay. How do they, you know, they, and they see different colors and going on a kind of stuff. And I said, I said, and you're, you're involved with these people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. I'm loving it. It's great. It's so cool. And I said, well, but you're also, I've, I've talked with you before and you've told me that you have faith in Christ, that you believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah. And the energy readers, they're fine. They're good with Jesus. They like Jesus, you know. Energy readers are down with Jesus. And like going, okay. I said, um, how do the energy readers feel about that Jesus is God in human flesh? And she's looking at me. And then she sort of falls back into her chair and her eyes roll back and she just starts convulsing. Like literally just shaking, you know. And I'm looking at her and I look at her husband and he's like, you know, (laughs) something. Okay. So I'm looking at her, and I just start declaring truth about who Jesus Christ is, that he's God in human flesh, that he died on the cross for every sin ever committed, for anyone who's ever lived, and just going through all this stuff. And then finally, after about what seemed like an hour, it was really probably about a minute, maybe, she just stops. And she said, what just happened? I said, well, you told me that energy readers are really cool with Jesus, and I asked you how they feel about Jesus being God, and then you went away. I said, what were you seeing in here?" And she goes, it was just dark and noisy. So this is an important doctrine. The energy readers are not down with Jesus, by the way, if they if one ever approaches you. <laughs> and, and a lot of other movements, philosophies, religions, extra things that sometimes people like to pile on, are not down with Jesus either. And if you are complete in Christ, then, what other things are you trying to add to get guidance, to get truth, to get advice, to get whatever it is? What other mystical, physical things are you piling on where God is going? No, you don't need any of that other stuff. You don't need those other sources of truth. God and His Word is truth. All right, we're going to get a little awkward now. Verse 11 it says, and in Him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, a lot of verbiage there. A lot of verbiage there. When he's talking about circumcision, this is the Apostle Paul who grew up as a Jew. He was trained as a Pharisee. Circumcision didn't just mean the physical act that happens on your eighth day for men uh, on the eighth day after they're born. It represents the removal of sin. It's the removal of sin. And so he's basically saying you were circumcised with one made without hand. So we're not talking about the physical ritual the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So it's very sort of very highly Jewish-influenced verbiage that basically what he's saying is that in Christ, your sin was cut off. Your sin was cut away and taken away from you, removed from you. And then he says, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and circum and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning you were dead in your sin and your sin was still attached to you, he made you alive. So he's talking to people who have come to know Christ. They have said yes to God's love and forgiveness through the death of Christ on their behalf. I'll get into that a little bit more later. And all of these verbs that he's using, that are describing who they are, are in an aorist tense in Greek. You don't need to know that. I just talk like that because I want you to think I'm smart. Okay, But it's a verb that means that it happened in the past, and it continues to be true. Okay, Now, if I were to say, I broke my arm 10 years ago, that's not an aorist verb, because I broke my arm, it happened, but I'm not continually, my arm doesn't continue to be broken. But if I said I graduated from high school at one point and I continue to be a graduate from high school, you see the difference? It happened in the past and it continues to be true. And that's the reality of these verbs. So he's saying all of these things that have happened, they happen in the past and they continue to be true in our lives. So in Christ, we... Christ died on the cross to remove our sin, and now we are in a continued state of being separated from our sin. The God, Christ died on the cross to make us spiritually alive, and so when you say yes to that, when you receive that, you continue to be spiritually alive. Are we tracking? Okay, so maybe I'm kind of losing you a little bit. It's all right. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Okay, I know what happens about every five, 10 minutes. You kind of check out. Sorry, kind of going, is that stain always been on that ceiling tile? Okay, so let's just, you know, okay, bring it back. Almost done. All right, here we go. Then he says, Would you, yeah, so he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now, if you've been around Bible study for a while, You know, let's say you're going to a Bible study and they throw out a word and you kind of go, well, what does the Greek actually say? And I love it when somebody who's never actually studied Greek says, what does the Greek actually say? You know, and you kind of like, do you want me to read it to you literally? Like read it in Greek to you? Would that be helpful? Well, what does the Greek say? Well, when it says all, this is a very complicated term in Greek. He says, having um, canceled, no, I'm sorry, made you live together, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Okay, the word all in Greek or the word all in that verse is translated from a Greek word that means, you want to take a guess? All, yeah. And here's a little tip for reminding you of what the word all means. All means all, and that's all all means. <laughs> means all, <laughs> means all of it. Not some of it, not all the stuff that's easy to get rid of. No, all of it, all of the sin, all of it. He's forgiven us all our transgressions. And then it says this, and this is cool. Remember when I was talking about the document fear? This is where we're going to hit it, okay? He says, "Having, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. In both Jewish and pagan traditions, there was this myth that a lot of people still kind of assume or believe that when you're dead, you stand before God or the gods or depending on whichever religion you're involved with, but a lot of Jewish people, and then you're standing there and then out trots an angel with a scroll that's got your name on it. And it's not your list of achievements. Okay, it's all the stuff you did wrong, right? And they just undo the scroll, and and there's a public reading. Have you ever heard this image that we're going to stand before God, and there's going to be a public reading? Kind of like the airing of grievances in Festivus, but it's more basically, here's the airing of every stupid thing you ever thought said and done. And then everybody else in line, so if I go up there, you know, if they go alphabetically or whatever, then basically everybody whose last name starts with C and further down gets to hear the reading of all my sins. And they're going to be like, oh, this is going to take forever. And it probably will. That's a myth. That's a myth. It's not true. It's a lie. Jesus died on the cross, and he forgave your sin. He cut your sin away. He removed it. There ain't no document to read. And when it says he canceled out the certificate of debt, he's not saying that there actually is a list being compiled in heaven. What he's saying now is, okay, well, let's take your your public reading myth. If there actually was one, guess what? Jesus canceled it. That word canceled there literally comes from a word that means annihilated, destroyed. It's gone. It doesn't exist. There's no ghost file on a hard drive out or out in the cloud that you could f- track down and find and convert to a file you can actually read. It's not there. Nobody's reading it. Nobody's thinking about it in heaven. Nobody's looking at it. No one's making fun of you. And you're not going to get publicly humiliated and embarrassed after you die standing before God as sort of a ritual you have to fulfill in order to get to heaven. It's not going to happen. You don't have to fear that when you die, that God's just waiting to finally give it to you. Well, I'm glad you're finally here. I think I have your attention now since you just died. No, it's not gonna happen. Not gonna happen at all. And he says the reason is because he nailed it to the cross. Then in verse 15, this is a really interesting, cool thing. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. What he's talking about there are powers of darkness the bible teaches there is a devil used to be an angel named lucifer okay now he's called satan english bibles give that word satan a capital of s but really it's just satan means uh, accuser he's an accuser that's what he does he likes just walking around making people feel guilty when they don't need to feel guilty you know, focusing on everything but the fact that Jesus forgiven every sin. But he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public spectacle, a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Back then, And, and it's interesting to me, like, yeah, during World War II, they would do this sometimes. The conquering army would take the defeated army back to their city and parade them through the streets to show everybody in your hometown that you lost. You belong to us now. And what it's saying is when Jesus died on the cross, he took the powers of darkness, paraded them through their own streets, and said, you lost. I won. This is good news, people. (laughs) Yeah, this is good news. There are powers of darkness. There is an enemy. He does have power, his power is fear and deception. Okay, he can't read your mind, he can't control your thoughts, he can't control you. But sometimes we think he can, sometimes we believe he can, we feel like he can, and that's all he needs. All I need for you to control you is for you to believe I ought to. Right? If you believe I ought to control you, then I have control over you. The only amount of control I have over you is the amount that you allow me to have. But if I can convince you that I should have total control over you, then that's how much I have. So here's a question. Actually, wait, before I get to that. When we think about the cross, and I've heard people say, on the cross... And they only talk about the physical part, the physical torture, that he was scourged, that he was beaten, that he was tortured, and he died a physical death on the cross from suffocation. Jesus did what no one else could do. Well, that's actually not true. He wasn't the only person to be crucified. He wasn't the only person to be tortured. He wasn't the only person to be falsely accused. Okay? So just the act that Jesus went through, all that physical stuff, was horrible because this is God in human flesh but that wasn't the unique thing that happened on the cross, okay? What was unique about the cross is that in a falsely accused, humiliated, rejected, beaten, tortured state, God in a human body was nailed up on the cross, and while that was happening, every sin ever committed by every person Whoever ever lived and ever would live, was put on him during that time. There have been a few times in my life when I've done something, and you feel it right here, right? Maybe you get nauseous. Maybe you feel achy. Maybe it hurts. And maybe it's so overwhelming you think, "I don't know, this could kill me. I mean, I I remember seeing a mom who just a few minutes earlier had heard that her teenage son died, and she just collapsed, physically, literally collapsed onto the floor. She just couldn't take it. And I felt like that for one thing, of my own. But what if you had to feel the pain, the guilt? the shame for every stupid thing you've ever said or done, and you had to get it all at once. Some of you know the debilitating pain that can be caused when someone else sins against you. If you've been victimized by somebody else in some way, experienced any kind of trauma, so you know the feeling, the pain, the destruction, and what that feels like emotionally or mentally from this as a victim of sin. That can be equally, if not more, overwhelming, debilitating, crippling just from one thing. On the cross, in that beaten, humiliated, tortured state, Jesus, Jesus. Experienced what was laid on him was the shame, the guilt of every sin ever perpetrated by any person who had ever lived and would ever live. He also experienced the pain and the torture of every victim for every sin that was ever committed by everyone who's ever lived. What was visible at the crucifixion was the torture that God went through being in a human body. What was invisible on the cross was that in that state, while hanging there, having no physical resources to draw on, the God of the universe was experiencing every wicked piece of every sin I've ever committed in my life, and yours, and yours, and everyone's. That's what happened on the cross. And that's why the powers of darkness were defeated. And that's why God can forgive through the cross because he did for us what we could never do. I can't I can't take it when I've got to, when I feel horrible about something I've done. If I had to feel that way for everything I've ever done, I don't know if, I don't think I could handle it. Let alone your stuff. <laughs> and all y'all and all these people I don't know, I I no. No way. So how do I know If I'm being deceived, how do I know if I'm believing a lie? I'm going to give you a couple examples. If I am repeatedly asking God to forgive me for the same thing, then essentially what I'm believing is that God didn't do what he said he would do. God said he would forgive me. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. But now I'm feeling guilty again. So God, please forgive me. He's like, I did. Why do you keep coming to me with the same stuff? (laughs) So we can continually ask for forgiveness because I don't feel forgiven. Well, the Bible never says feel forgiven. The Bible says believe you've been forgiven. Continually living with guilt for things that Jesus already died for on the cross. I mean, I think God is very nice, but you know, really, He's got the right to say, seriously, people, I hung on that cross for that stuff and you're still carrying it around. You know, doesn't make me, doesn't make you look real grateful. Just saying. <laughs> Sometimes somebody will say, well, I know God forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. Oh. So you have some higher standard of righteousness to which you hold yourself that exceeds God's forgiveness? No, you don't. I'm sorry, but you don't. And I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm just saying that if we take a step back, what are we really believing? I'm believing that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. It doesn't cover my sin. I sinned so badly. I sinned so many times that it wasn't enough. I mean, really think about it, because Jesus, this is God in human flesh. You think God was kind of going, well, I kind of made a list of sins that when I become Jesus, I'm going to die for. I hope I covered it all. And so he did it, and then, you know, I come along, and I throw down all these other sins that he never thought of. He's like, whoa, dude, <laughs> well, you win. I, yeah, I died for all sins. At least I thought I did. But then here you come with all these sins I never thought of, and you did them so many times. So, yeah, sorry, you You won, but you don't get you gotta it. got to have Are you going to out-sin God? Are you going to sin so many times or sin so badly that Jesus could not cover it? Because when I say, well, I, I can forgive myself, but, I mean, I can't forgive myself. I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. I mean, I can, it's cool that God forgives me, but my forgiveness is really more important. Come on, people. We're walking on thin ice when we do that. But it's not true. It's a lie. God's word says, if you're a believer in Christ, if you have said yes to God's love, mercy, forgiveness through Jesus' death on the the cross, you don't have to worry what's going to happen when you die. You're going to go to heaven. But a lot of us are worried. Maybe it comes more from a tradition you grew up in, or just something that... You know, and I've I've met so many people who say that is the hardest thing to believe. That if I die, I'm not totally confident I'm gonna to go to heaven. You're going to heaven. If you want, I would love to sit down and show you a couple hundred Bible verses that'll <laughs> maybe convince you, but you're going to heaven. If you would say yes to God's love in Christ, you're going to heaven. You're going. I didn't grow up with any kind of, you know, religious tradition. I didn't even know Easter was about Jesus till I was 19, literally. And so one of the things that, I mean, of all the challenges I've ever had as a follower of Christ, for some reason, be, oops, sorry, believing I'm going to go to heaven when I die has just never been a problem. I remember years and years ago, I was driving a 69 VW bus on the 22 in Southern California during rush hour. If you've ever driven a VW bus, there's basically you sitting in a seat and a piece of sheet metal, <laughs> which is the front of the bus because the engine's in the back. And some guy cut in front of me, and I, and I remember, I, I'm going to crash into this guy. There's cars, there's nowhere for me to go. And I thought, and I remember thinking to myself, as soon as I realized that this might be it, I thought, maybe i'm going to go to heaven today it's not for me i mean that is a gift from god that is god's spirit living in me for whatever reason i've never that's one of the very few things that i've never really struggled with and i know a lot of people do but i believed it when i read it in god's word you're going to go to heaven and you die. And it's a deception to believe that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough to get me into heaven. And it's so easy to believe about other people. Well, those people there, they're all really good, but I don't think God loves me that much. They're all going to go to heaven when they die, but I don't think I am. It's like, wow, you're that that unique, that whatever it is where God just passed over you. It's like, you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven. It's like Oprah, you're going to heaven, you're going, not you, but you're going to go to heaven. (coughs) Back in verse 10, there was a statement. He is the head over all rule and authority. God is the head over all rule and authority, except me. God can say something but if I don't think it's right, if I don't believe it, then it's not, doesn't apply to me. Does that make sense to you? Can you relate to that, though? God is the head over all rule and authority, but I grew up with parents who told me a lot of crap, and it's just hard not to believe that. He is the head over all rule and authority, and he says that Christ's death on the cross covers every sin, every one of yours, every one of mine, every one of all of us, that his forgiveness is enough to remove the guilt and to carve a place for you in heaven in stone. And so often we pray, God, please give me this. God, please give me peace. God, please give me faith. Please give me whatever. I want to challenge you to pray Even as a believer, God, I I just need Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus' mind. Give me Jesus' eyes. Give me Jesus' passion for people. Give Give me whatever Jesus has for me today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy in our life. God, thank you for your love and forgiveness. Thank you that you are constantly trying to pour those things into our lives, top to bottom, side to side, even when we're not asking for it, even when we're not looking for it, you're always there, pouring it in. And God, thank you that you are the head over all rule and authority, that it's your word that's the final word. God, I... I can't do the math or explain why you decided I was worth saving, that I was worth dying for, that I was worth loving, but I don't want to question it. God, help us, show us, open our eyes, remind us as we go through this week that you defeated the powers of darkness, that you broke the bondage of sin, that you conquered the guilt That you created us because you want to. You love us because you choose to. That we can walk with you. That we can trust you. And if we say yes to your love and forgiveness, we can know that after we take our last breath of oxygen, we will be with you forever. Give us Jesus, Lord. That's what we need. In his name we pray. Amen.